Hey everybody, welcome to another Ithaca Bound podcast episode. I'm your host, Andrew Schiestel, and this is the podcast where we explore history and mythology in the Mediterranean basin. Today I'm joined with Dr. Daniel Gino for a conversation about the ancient Illyrians. Dr. Gino is senior lecturer in the Department of History and Archaeology at Macquarie University, based in Australia. He has written many publications over his career, including authoring the book, Illyricum in Roman Politics, 229 BC to AD 68, which was published by Cambridge University Press. And he's co-author of the book, Liburnians and Illyrian Lems, Iron Age Ships of the Eastern Adriatic, which was published by Archeo Press. And Dr. Gino joins us today from Sydney. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for inviting me in the show. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversation today. Daniel and uh, so normally um, when I start an episode I'm I'm personally very clear on the um, what I what I'm going to say for the for the, in describing the, um, the the particular subject matter um, this as we chatted about uh, the the ancient Illyrians uh, came up on on the show um, about a, about a week ago when when the show covered uh, uh, what Rome was doing after the first Punic War with Dr. Catherine Lomas from Durham University and and what I understood from that is that um, these these people um, described themselves probably a little bit um, in in different ways depending on the different tribes and stuff and you and I chatted about that a little bit prior prior to the show so. So I want to I want to kind of create that as you know I want to put it out there in, in starting the starting the episode and uh, and and that's going to lead to the question then so who who were the ancient Illyrians and and can you kind of can you address the kind of that nomenclature around uh, around how to how to describe them as well in your response? Oh, that's that's the million dollar <laughs> question I can say. Uh, who are the Illyrians? Uh, the term Illyrians, in many ways, depends on historical context. Uh, context. So, uh, for the Greeks in classical period, Illyrians were their Western neighbors. Uh, for uh, Romans, uh, Illyrians uh, in, in third century, in second century BC, Ro- uh, Illyrians were people inhabiting uh, southern Adriatic, so area of modern day Montenegro, northern Albania, central Albania. Uh, in, in later period, uh, Illyricum was much w- wider area in the uh, Roman Empire, so it was a big province, and it was huge area in the taxation zone of Illyricum was stretching all the way from modern Austria to, 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 to Black Sea. Then in late antiquity, Illyrians were people uh, from uh, central Balkans who were part of the of the uh, Justinians and, and the East Roman uh, troops. And then we have uh, perceptions of Illyrians in early modern era amongst the, the Croatian uh, humanists from uh, from Dalmatian cities who mixed up the, the ancient and, and Slavic past uh, in, in the interpretation of the past, and then Illyrians in, in more recent times uh, are perceived as the ancestors of Albanians or, or uh, 
some kind of uh, wider term that depict the indigenous population of especially Western and Central Balkan Peninsula. In, in more proper terms, uh, uh, scholarship uh, usually refers to Illyrians as communities of these uh, southern uh, Adriatic, although we have no evidence that uh, they call themselves that way, mm. and they uh, have, we have no uh, evidence that they share the same uh, sense of ethnicity. So in, in kind of uh, shortening uh, uh, my answer would mm -hmm. be that uh, Illyrians are uh, what uh, Roman writers um, that Pliny, the, the uh, younger, but Pliny the elder, sorry, the, in, in his uh, encyclopedia, the, the natural history, and Pomponius Mela referred to properly called Illyrians. And those are exactly people, Illyri proprie dicti in Latin, those are exactly people from uh, modern day coast of uh, Montenegro, northern central Albania, and southern parts of, of uh, Croatia. In, Dalmatia is also the area of uh, modern-day Dubrovnik, um, Peninsula of Pelješac, and a little bit of hinterland in what is today southern uh, Herzegovina. And what is it about this particular topic or, or peoples that it's not clear in contemporary times uh, what they call themselves? Um, and I'm sure that happens, obviously, once, once, you know, once in a while. Um, uh, you know, when you're talking history, I guess it depends how far go, you go back. It can happen a lot, probably. But um, you know, oftentimes on this show, it's uh, it's 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 clear what people of the given time were calling themselves. What what is it about um, these people that it's just not clear in contemporary times what they called themselves? Were they not were they not writing at that given time, or did that, or did that writings, did that, did the writings not not survive? Some something else. Uh, we have no evidence that they they uh, wrote, so so they, they haven't been uh, kind enough to to uh, leave us uh, their histories, their literature, and things like that. So uh, on the other hand, uh, there are also no uh, epigraphy, so there are no inscribed. Uh, inscriptions uh, from this period. The only things that we know, uh, we know through Greek and Roman authors. Uh, however, uh, we know that uh, they might have been using Greek script because some of these uh, communities were minting their own coinage. And this coinage has the inscriptions in Greek. So we know that, for example, the community of Dalsi and uh, scholarship located them in Oshaneci, that's close to Stolac in, in, in southern, uh, southern eastern Herzegovina. The people of uh, uh, Skodra, which, which is Skoder in, in modern day Albania, they minted uh, uh, their, their own coinage. And uh, some of these so called Illyrian kings like like uh, Baleos uh, uh, and uh, there was also Gentius, uh, they, they minted their own coinage and we have these uh, names of communities or rulers written in Greek on these these coins. Do we know what uh, what the main materials they were using for their coinage? Oh, that was mostly, uh, you know, bronze, silver. Uh, I, I, I'm not a numismatist, mm -hmm. but I, I, I can't recall of any gold, gold, gold coinage uh, being minted there. Okay. 
Um, what's known about the the language or languages they they, they spoke in, uh, in 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 the ancient period? Oh, that's that's another big <laughs> another million dollar question. Uh, we, it's very difficult to reconstruct the language if uh, we know nothing about the literature. If we have no inscriptions, the only things that we have are few names few mm -hmm. personal names. Some of those names are mentioned, as I said, by Greek and Roman uh, writers like uh, King Agron, like Queen Teuta, like, like uh, one of the kings was uh, called Skerdilaidas. Uh, and there are also some of these indigenous names recorded in a little bit later in the, the inscriptions, usually in the tombstones from uh, Roman periods, so from first, second, uh, third century AD. So uh, on account of these names, uh, some scholars, some linguists try to reconstruct, uh, not necessarily a language, but let's say the, the groups of languages that have been spoken. I'm, I'm very skeptical uh, about it, but at least we know that there was uh, some kind of, of linguistic coiners, so, so common or, or similar languages be, being spoken, not uh, just uh, amongst these uh, southern Adriatic groups, but also uh, a little bit uh, west uh, amongst the, the people that we know as Delmate, uh, which uh, inhabited uh, modern-day Western Herzegovina and, and Dalmatian uh, hinterland of, of, of Split, uh, uh, and also probably there is some um, similar or, or identical names amongst Pannonian uh, uh, peoples who, who inhabited uh, what is today central Bosnia, northern Bosnia and uh, Slavonia, which is in modern day Croatia. So we can see that, that the languages were probably, probably, as I said, I'm a bit skeptical about it, but uh, still uh, uh, probably spoken on a wider area and uh, that, that a larger number of communities uh, spoke uh, same or similar languages. The linguistic barrier probably was uh, on or around the river uh, Kirka, which is uh, close by uh, uh, modern-day Šibenik in Croatia, where it starts the, the area uh, uh, inhabited by people we know as Liburni. Liburni spoke probably different language, uh, and which is more uh, similar to language that was spoken by history in Istria, and Veneti in what's today northern uh, Italy around obviously Venice and Trieste and that area around around there. So as I said, we know almost nothing about languages apart from those names, maybe a few words, but that's that's definitely not not sufficient to reconstruct uh, the language. Uh, there are also some assumptions that scholars had, especially in the past, that Albanian is the linguistic successor of Illyrian languages. But uh, today uh, it is, it is uh, uh, very questionable uh, what kind of continuity existed be between people who lived in, in 3rd, 2nd century BC and uh, Albanians who, who are mentioned in, in medieval, medieval times. So this uh, assumption of continuity between, between uh, these indigenous pre-Roman languages and the language, Albanian language, uh, are, are very uh, thin. Uh, so I think that that's, that's a very short, very abbreviated answer mm -hmm. to, to this and other million dollar questions. Yeah, okay, yeah. 
Um, do you know or do you can you infer if at any point in in time, let's say in the in the first millennium uh, BCE BC, if um, if they had a unified state in the territory that you described there, you mentioned some present day day countries. Um, can you can do you know or can you infer if they ever if it ever was mostly or entirely unified in that in that region or is it or is it believed that um, this it was disparate um, tribes or disparate states in in these uh, in, in 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 that region? Well, generally, we uh, I mean. We need to agree what we understand to be a state. I don't think uh, uh, there is any kind of complex social structures there until fourth or more likely third century BC, when our uh, sources are reporting uh, about uh, Illyrian Kingdom. Uh, what, what was Illyrian Kingdom is is more. It doesn't look as as some really unified by state. It looks more as as an uh, alliance of different uh, groups, different elite groups. Mm -hmm. So we know, for example, from our sources that some of these kings of Illyrians were coming from the group or clan uh, or elite group, if you wish, uh, uh, called RDA. And then uh, uh, there was a switch and uh, uh, the, the power uh, came to the group uh, that we know as La Beate. So uh, these are the inhabited the what's today Boca Kotorska in, in Montenegro and La Beate they lived uh, around the Lake of Skoder or, or Lake of Skodra which is shared uh, today between Montenegro and, and Albania. Uh, however, uh, this is more something that we know from uh, written sources. Archaeology tells us that uh, there was a, a wide uh, kind of shared cultural habitus uh, of starting to form sometimes in the uh, earlier Iron Ages. And the excavations show that uh, uh, groups, that communities, uh, going all the way from Glasinas Plateau, which is uh, a little bit uh, eastern from modern-day Sarajevo, western Serbia, and going down all the way to northern Albania, that uh, shared a, a particular uh, social structures, particular cultural uh, um, practices and burial practices that, that are similar. It doesn't mean that, that there was the, you know, unified state there. I mean, on the contrary, but it, it is uh, possible to trace this kind of networks existing in from, let's say, 7th century BC uh, and, and kind of similarities uh, in, um, let's say, the emphasis on warrior culture, the emphasis on, on uh, use of, of Greek goods as, as important uh, prestige goods that are used in burials and, and so on. When you refer to them then, do you refer to them as a network of tribes or something else? Yeah, network of, of communities, uh, indigenous uh, peoples. So, so there, there are a few terms I would I would use. Although mm -hmm. in scholarship, it's more um, 
especially older older scholarship it's it's more usual to refer to to Illyvians. but the problem is of course uh, that there is never been agreement who are those Illyrians so, so some scholars would use Illyrians only for people who uh, being part of this Illyrian kingdom but other scholars would call Illyrians other groups for example these Delmate that I mentioned and we know that Delmate were uh, part of Illyrian kingdom until 181 BC, but uh, in many other ways, they show very different uh, cultural practices from from these communities from uh, southeastern uh, Adriatic. Some people would call even some of these Pannonians Illyrians. So, so in, in scholarship, it was always a problem to define these these Illyrians, and uh, usually the scholarship always works uh, within the times that the scholars live in. So there are some attempts, especially uh, after 1945, to define as Illyrians uh, people who inhabited uh, what was then uh, Yugoslav Federation and Albania. But then, obviously, uh, uh, scholars started to, to notice that there are quite a lot of differences between these indigenous groups. So altogether, uh, said I, I'm not always comfortable with using term Illyrians, but sometimes in a context, let's say, of uh, writing about uh, Illyrian kingdom, I don't think uh, uh, there is a big problem if we uh, agree that the term Illyrians describe all these communities uh, and and that we are not certain uh, that they refer to themselves as, as Illyrians. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the... Architecture. Does any of their architecture survive? Has any of it been excavated? Uh, Not much, uh, especially not from the earlier period. From the earlier period, we know almost nothing about the settlements. But we know that uh, important later, uh, especially from around 500 BC, 600 BC, important uh, feature uh, of their, um, let's say, material culture were uh, hill, hill forts. And then uh, going towards, uh, you know, third, second century BC, it's noticeable that that there are quite a lot of uh, fortifications around there. But this is not uh, peculiar just to southeast and Adriatic. We have that all all around Balkans. We have those hill forts. However, uh, recent excavations, and these are Polish Montenegrin excavations, and covered some really really interesting interesting uh, 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 material and interesting buildings in Risan, which is in, in modern-day Montenegro, uh, and they, they uh, uh, uncovered several uh, elite buildings, which are uh, uh, obviously being, being built in the Greek uh, or Hellenistic, rather, uh, style, and they, they showed that the people who inhabited these, they are referred to as palaces, uh, we don't know who, who lived in there, but obviously that they've been a member of uh, being, being a member of elite, uh, so that uh, and probably elite of the RDA who, who are uh, connected with with this particular particular area. Uh, on the other hand, there are also some of these uh, fortifications are very sophisticated. So I would I would refer to to Oshanici. I mentioned them before. That's the that's the site close uh, to to modern uh, day township of Stolac. They have really really uh, sophisticated so called megalithic uh, uh, walls uh, uh, up there on the and the hill fort, and they they used to be quite quite big. 
big and and uh, they've been uh, obviously done with with knowledge and uh, I don't know whether it with help or with, with knowledge coming from Hellenistic Greece but otherwise we, we generally know very little about about um, habitation about the buildings we know more about things that they use the things that they use uh, used in burials they've been quite keen obviously on uh, greek imports so they've been mm. importing lots of wine they've been importing lots of uh, uh, fine greek pottery there, there are quite a lot of uh, uh, shipwrecks being being discovered uh, in this area uh, um, and uh, obviously they, they've been importing the roof tiles so, so quite a lot of things they've been keen on and obviously uh, they their elite had, had quite sophisticated uh, taste in, in, in some ways and the fact that they minted coins uh, um, tells us uh, that they, they adopted at some point of time the uh, monetary economy which is uh, distinguished them with, from the most of other communities around um, Adriatic and in, in the Western Balkans who uh, didn't mint uh, their own coinage. Are they believed to be to have been um, mainly urbanized or mainly pastoral? Uh, we can see some traces of urbanization coming only in, in fourth, third uh, century BC. And uh, I would still not call it really urbanization uh, on, you know, as comparable with, with Greek or Roman. But there are some traces uh, that, that they started to have some, let's say, proto-urban settlements, especially Skodra, for example, in, in uh, modern day Albania. So there are a few of these that, that show us that uh, uh, these processes of urbanization were, were underway and, and uh, that uh, I think we can attribute this to, to uh, proximity to, to the Greeks, proximity to Greek colonies in, in Apollonia and Dirachium, Dirachium is modern day. Endures uh, in in, in uh, Albania, so that this kind of cultural interaction was was occurring uh, more intensely, especially uh, after fourth uh, century from from fourth century BC. Um, you mentioned uh, the, them importing wine from from Greece, so they had the Romans to the west. They had they had Greece to the to to, to the east. Um, how would you summarize? Um, their their relations uh and it's probably not an easy thing you know in any case to summarize uh you know relations between states but but i want to ask the question anyways um how how would you summarize what their what their relations were and and also what their foreign policy um was you you mentioned that they were i, I believe you mentioned at one point they're also um warrior people i might be slightly off but i remember you mentioning the term warrior okay so so in a part of that answer um can you can you mention what their uh, if if they had a um, uh, uh, what their policy was from a foreign policy perspective in terms of uh, did they approach their territory from a defensive perspective did they want to expand their their territory from an imperial perspective can you speak a little bit about that as well. Uh, it's it's a, a complex, of course, question, mm -hmm. but I'll try to, to answer it because it always depends on, on the context. Yeah. Uh, we know that some of these uh, people named Illyrians uh, were fighting in Hellenistic armies as mercenaries. So they obviously 
could uh, sell their services uh, and warrior skills in uh, for these uh, anyone who was uh, obviously able able to pay. Uh, on the other hand, uh, there is something uh, 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 there is a bad press about uh, Illyrians again thinking about these southeastern Adriatic communities in a Greek, especially Roman uh, sources, because they are labeled as pirates. Uh, what it means, uh, we can't really accept uh, this notion of piracy because obviously what we understand is that pirates are people who are outcasts, who, who are not uh, uh, members of wider community. And in this case, it wasn't really true. Uh, the the uh, piracy or let's say intercepting of trade was done by members of Elite. And in general, in ancient and medieval world, uh, what we, uh, what the sources might call piracy, depends on the source. So, if the source uh, is is uh, on the receiving end of, of piracy, obviously they will they will call people who, who attack the ships uh, um, pirates. And if they are on the other side, if their people are, are raiding other people's ships, they will call them the, uh, entrepreneurs. Because piracy was in Greek world, in, in prehistoric world, they said until early modern times used as as very often as as a way of accumulating um, capital. We today go to bank to ask for a loan, and and for them it would be a little bit easier, you know. They get some ships passing, and let's let's rob them and and get some initial capital. We can invest again in trade. So people who were one day uh, pirates could be the other day they could be traders. So this is a little bit of of experiences, just to digression, just to to explain what I uh, want to say mm -hmm. is that. Uh, Illyrian uh, kings, at least these that we know about in third century, they, they uh, tolerated uh, in th their subjects intercepting uh, Italian uh, and, and Greek trade, which was uh, increasing significantly in that uh, point of time because you can't have a, a piracy without without trade. But uh, uh, Romans, in particular, and Italians didn't like that because uh, their ships were often being being robbed. So uh, the piracy was used uh, by the Romans as an excuse, at least in some of the interpretations, for their first conflict with with Illyrian Kingdom in, in 229 uh, BC. Uh, and going back to, to what you, you asked, uh, told me, asked me about the uh, foreign policy is, is also that uh, at a particular point when these, uh, let's call it Illyrian Kingdom, became uh, more sophisticated, even, even stronger politically, they, they found themselves uh, between, between the rock and, uh, and the hard place. On one, one hand, there, there was Roman Republic, which was uh, aggressive, imperialistic at, at the time, especially after the, the Punic Wars. And on the other hand, there were uh, Macedonian, Macedonian Kingdom, uh, which uh, on the other hand also had uh, obviously imperial designs. So, so they, they, they balanced between between these two, some of uh, uh, these Illyrians, Illyrian kings making uh, uh, wrong choices, like the last king, uh, Gentius, who, who sided with the Macedonian king Perseus, and Perseus lost his uh, third Macedonian war, again, he lost uh, the third Illyrian war, and Illyrian kingdom got uh, disbanded in, in 168, 167 BC. So uh, 
I don't think they had formed uh, foreign policy. They didn't have the foreign policy institutes, for example. Uh, but I, I think that they, they've been just uh, their rulers or rulers of this alliance called uh, Illyrian Kingdom. Uh, they've been opportunistic, so they would certainly use the, the opportunity to raid Greek uh, cities and, uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, try to balance and, and, and maybe even get some, some payment if... if uh, Macedonians, for example, needed, uh, or some of the Greek uh, uh, leagues at the time needed, uh, needed uh, allies. Uh, and uh, yeah, one more thing that we spoke about in the uh, before the recording: uh, uh, important, uh, important symbol. Uh, and I'm talking again about third, second century BC. Of these communities uh, was a particular type of ship that was called. Uh, Lembos or, or Lembos in in uh, in Latin. So this, this, these ships were not invented in Southeastern Arabia. They invented in in Aegean Sea. We have the evidence that they're being used in fourth century BC. And these are small ships used sometimes used for trade, sometimes used uh, like a small ships for navigation uh, within within port. However, uh, what seems to be is that the Southeastern Illyrians uh, adopted this type of uh, ship uh, for their use. So they could use it as very fast uh, uh, galley, uh, uh, and, and they could use it for intercepting other ships. Uh, they could use it for uh, trade, because they still have some space for cargo. They have a particular uh, um, shape, as it seems. Uh, and uh, which enable it to, to, you know, be very, very fast. And what's the most interesting thing is there, uh, apart from this, this lemboy, that's, that's the plural lamps, uh, uh, being uh, used by, by the Southeastern uh, Illyrians, they also depicted on their coinage. So we have a particular type of galley that's depicted on their coinage, obviously showing us that that must have been a lambos, a lambos that must have been lamb, uh, and which was uh, very significant in in the life of these communities. Sorry, this was a little bit uh, longer answer, but hopefully, no, hopefully, fine. some information there. Yeah, it's fine, Daniel. And you wrote a book that I mentioned, one of the two books on yeah. uh, ships, right, in the Eastern Adriatic. So the um, so what's the evidence showing then? So when we're talking about ships and, and travel, uh, maritime travel, um, what's the um, what's the evidence showing in terms of how far they would have traveled, um, may have traveled over the sea? Uh, well, uh, we, we can't be sure for uh, how far they may be traveled for trade purposes. Uh, but uh, from the evidence, from the written evidence, we know that fleet of these uh, uh, lambs were uh, traveling or attacking as far as, as Peloponnesus in, in, in Greece. So these were, as I said, very fast ships. But uh, they also had a bit of problem uh, in uh, maritime, in the context of, of maritime battles, uh, that they couldn't really uh, uh, um, compete with larger ships uh, with rams like, like uh, 
quinqueremas and, and quadriremas that, that the Romans had. So, so every time the Romans clashed with, with the Illyrian lands, there was no problems for Romans to win, win the battle. Uh, however, uh, what, what's also interesting with these lands is that a Macedonian king, uh, Philip V, uh, thought that uh, Illyrian lamps could be used, uh, uh, and he even invited the, the shipbuilders from this area to, to build him a fleet. Uh, and he even um, experimented, or his engineers rather experimented, and we, we had the uh, evidence that they uh, had the double decked uh, lamps. Uh, in Macedonian fleet, uh, which was not the characteristics uh, of the original Illyrian lamps. That Illyrian lambos, lamboy, they, they, they had a single deck and probably they'd be open, uh, not, not uh, didn't have the closed deck at all. Uh, and uh, these Macedonian lamps, which are kind of mutation of the of the Illyrian lamps, that they, they in some at some point of time experimented with with double deck lamps and and even the, the lamps with which had the, the ram. Uh, at long term, it didn't really play well, and obviously these these ships were not good enough for for uh, you know serious uh, maritime uh, fighting or for, for naval battles they'd be much better for intercepting the the uh, merchant ships and for transporting uh, uh, um, transporting the troops fastly so um, the, as I said uh, they could operate in in, in certain area uh, as far as Greece, but uh, if their um, merchants went further than that, we, we, we have no evidence. It, it is possible, but mm, there is nothing to, to support this, this notion. Are there any pictures or illustrations in, in, in your book regarding the ships? Yeah, there are, there are obviously uh, quite quite a few. That there are some uh, reproductions of, of coins. Obviously, there are some uh, there are some iconography because this is co-authored book that I co-authored it with my colleagues from Croatia, Luka Borsic and Irena Radici Rossi, and uh, we also had the um, investigation of the shipwrecks, uh, which are not connected with lamps. They they are connected with other type of ship from Eastern Arabia because this is more a book about Eastern, Eastern Adriatic navigation. And we also have, as I said, some iconography from Iron Age uh, that uh, could uh, indicate types of ships that were used by local communities uh, from somewhere from 7th century BC until 1st until, uh, century BC. That was my attempt, Daniel, to get another plug-in for your book there. <laughs> yeah, so again, everybody, that's Liburnians and Illyrian Lems uh, that Dr. Uh, Gino co-authored. Um, okay, so let's, uh, let's work our way to wrapping up the, the, uh, the conversation. I want to uh, uh, touch on, uh, you touched on it, I believe, initially on products and trade. I, I want to I I complete that uh, topic point talk uh, religious orientation, what may be known about that, then work our way to, to cl closing up the conversation. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned earlier that uh, they were importing. Um, you, you had said, um, I believe you had mentioned wine from the Greeks as an example. So what, what's known about what they may have been trading? So if they're, if they're receiving goods like wine, 
What, what's what's known or inferred about? Uh, you mentioned that they had uh, uh, currency at some at some point, or or certain um, certain communities had had currency. Um, what's known about what they may have been giving in exchange for goods that they were re- receiving? <laughs> Another million dollar question. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know for certain. Uh, we know that uh, in earlier periods, so somewhere in 7th, 6th, 5th century BC, the Greeks uh, were looking for, and they, they quite uh, praised this area uh, that contained a lot of uh, irises. And there are indeed a lot of these wild uh, growing irises that the uh, Greeks used in cosmetics, for example. Um, so this was one of these things. Uh, but other things that they might be exporting might not be visible in the record. Because when you talk about wine, wine is very easily visible in material record. You see amphorae, you see you know, pottery that's used for drinking wine. So this is... Uh, as simple as that. But there are plenty of uh, things that are made of, of organic material that uh, simply disappear from material record and we can't see it. So we know that uh, sometimes we can know from uh, written sources that some things were exported, like timber, for example, but you, you can't find it because it, it you know, rotted away and, and it's not visible anymore. Uh, they, they also, uh, they produced, uh, I mean, th- there's not much of the, of the metal ores there. Metal ores are, ores are more uh, a bit north in, in what's today uh, central Bosnia. But uh, they, they've been quite keen also on importing or even producing or copying some uh, uh, stuff, um, some, some metal work from the, from the Greeks especially. And there is a particular type of helmet, uh, which is called uh, Illyrian helmet. However, it's not limited to this area only. It's limited to, to wide Balkan area. It's, it's the variant, it's, it's the type of, of um, kind of uh, development from the famous Corinthian hoplite helmet, but it, it is a little bit different. It, it's easily recognizable. So these, these Lyrian helmets uh, were used uh, very often in uh, funeral settings, and uh, they might have been produced also locally. So we find lots of them, and they all, they've been used uh, as, as important status symbols. Okay, and I want to... Again, again, that doesn't answer completely what you asked me, but as I said, that's another million, million dollar question because that what they might be exporting is, is, uh, might be completely invisible in, in material record. Might be some kind of agricultural things, might be cheese, might be uh, wool. We simply don't know. If, if no one wrote about it, if we don't have the cargo list, if, if no Roman uh, historian or Roman source wrote about it, we won't know it. Okay. Yeah, and I want to ask this. It might sound a little bit out of place. I want to go back to the, um, the, the, the ships and the ship, shipwrecks. But it's it's relevant in terms of it's relevant because part of the part of the um, the context of the conversation, but also in terms of items that that um, are preserved and survive, and items that just just haven't survived to present day. What is it about um, shipwrecks? So ships found in uh, a body of water like like a sea. Is there is there um, w- what is it about them in terms of preservation? Is it something about the them being immersed 
in a body of water that helps them be preserved or is it more than the actual materials themselves? Could be, could be material. Everything depends, of course, of the of the circumstances of the of the uh, shipwreck, and uh, uh, but uh, sometimes the shipwreck can be found without uh, timber. You can just see a cargo. So, so, uh, but sometimes, sometimes definitely, uh, underwater archaeologists can be can be very lucky to find find a ship and and even even sometimes uh, get these or remains of these these ships out. But mostly, what, what's found there is. Is the is the cargo so you see especially arm for it okay so water typically doesn't help that situation not much but sometimes as i said uh, you might be lucky <laughs> with that okay depending how, how is water what was the composition of water and other things okay okay um, so let's let's work our way, as I said, to the uh, to their religious orientation. What's what's known about that as uh, uh, one of these uh, uh, closing clo closing items. So is there anything known about uh, their religious orientation? Again, we know very little. There might be some kind of connection, but it's very loose connection around the cult of snake, uh, because snake is used often in in their art uh, and there is also very interesting greek myth uh, about cadmus and and harmonia uh, cadmus was was a phoenician who came to the city of thebes became uh, obviously the, the king of thebes and then he went uh, to according to the myth he went to to illyria with his wife and uh, then they turned into snakes so uh, some scholars think that there might be some kind of connection between this myth and the, uh, some of the religious uh, cults, pre-Roman religious cults that, that uh, existed, existed over there. But overall, we know, again, very little about it. Uh, and I don't think there was enough uh, emphasis being, being put on the... Uh, I mean, they didn't build big temples, so it's difficult to, to find them. Obviously, their religion might be, should have been under strong Greek influence because of the interaction. I mean, if, if the Romans had the Greek input, of course, they, the, the Illyrians would have even more of the, of the Greek input. But this kind of, uh, this is the only thing that we might talk a little bit more, with more certainties, is particular role of snake. But what was that role of snake? Of course, we, we, we don't know because they, they didn't bother to, to, write, to write anything uh, uh, about it, or at least we don't have anything preserved uh, from from uh, indigenous perspective on this. Uh, but for, for the other things, obviously, it must be some kind of natural slash uh, polytheistic uh, um, collection of, of natural beliefs, uh, polytheistic beliefs. But as I said, uh, almost nothing is known about it. So by the end of the ancient period, um, let's say, you know, around the end of late, late antiquity, however, that's um, best defined, but somewhere in the, let's say, you know, third to uh fifth century, somewhere in that in that period of time. Um, so by the end of the late antiquity period, what would this area um, have been like from a sovereignty per, per, per perspective? Were they were they still sovereign people? Was there any major major changes in this this area by 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 the end of the ancient period? Uh, 
from 167 BC, from so-called uh, Peace of Skodra, the Illyrian Kingdom was divided into uh, four different, uh, four smaller units, which were tribute paying. They've been semi-independent, but they, they pay tribute to Rome. So that Romans at the next decades or at least century slowly incorporated them within the Roman Empire. So they've been part of the province, Roman province of Dalmatia uh, until uh, somewhere, let's say, late antiquity and uh, reforms of the Emperor Diocletian in the late third, very late third century, uh, separated the province of Prevalitana, uh, which took uh, what's today Montenegro and, and, and a part of um, Albania. So mostly, the, most of these, not all, but most of these areas where Illyrian Kingdom was. Uh, and they've been part of the later Eastern Roman Empire, Byzantine Empire, uh, and so on. Uh, the, what happens with Illyrians is that uh, through the period of Roman rule, they, uh, in, in a few generations, they, uh, their identity significantly changed. So they became Romans in, in particular ways. Uh, they adopted some elements of uh, Roman culture and uh, Roman names, uh, Latin language, and, uh, so, so, uh, and they started to form new provincial, provincial uh, identities, let's, let's say. So basically, as I said, that these Roman conquests uh, transformed significantly all these indigenous uh, communities from the, the Western Central Balkans and, and um, changed them. They didn't become Romans in the same way the Romans were in, the, in, in, in Rome, obviously, but they, they became Romans in particular, let's say, ways. But I guess this is this is different <laughs> different story. We covered a lot of ground on this uh, conversation, in this conversation, Daniel, in under an hour. Is there, um, is there anything, you know, one last thing that, um, that you feel that you, you really want to say that, you know, I just didn't, you know, I didn't ask, uh, you know, that item as a, uh, a topic, or do you think we covered this topic fairly well, given the, given the time today? I think we covered it for for the the, the time that we that we had it, and I think uh, is is um, Illyrians or at least people that we call Illyrians to be more precise uh, are one of those uh, people from antiquity which never had so much of the attention because ancient history is of course focused on Greeks, focused on Macedonians, focused on, on Romans, maybe some of these more important uh, indigenous groups like the Celts slash Gauls, uh, uh, Thracians, and, and so on. And Illyrians were always so elusive because uh, it's it's very difficult to to define who Illyrians were. So, so, as I said, what we talked about is mostly people who inhabited this Illyrian kingdom in, in third, fourth, third, second century BC, but just a few centuries after that, in let's say third century AD, uh, uh, Roman legions from the Danube composed from the uh, provincials from the Balkans would call themselves Illyriciani because Romans called that area Illyricum. Uh, they are not Illyrians in this sense. Uh, they're something completely different. So, so what's interesting in, in researching and, and 
dealing with, with the term Illyrians and later Roman terms, Illyricum and so on, is that they are so elusive, they're so fluid, that they are becoming uh, 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 very much defined by the context. So that, the, that even Romans at some point of time, they, they, they didn't know what, uh, why they call Illyricum, Illyricum. So, so, and, and it was, as I said, big, big area, uh, taxation zone, uh, south of, um, of the Danube, uh, and, and uh, what's the east from the, from the, from the Alps. Uh, so, and, and as I said, that, that another thing that's, that's also fascinating is how they've been claimed in more recent uh, uh, past, how they've been claimed in, in early modern era, how they've been claimed in modern era, for example, because uh, the, the whole discourse on Albanian nationhood is based on the idea of these, these kind of uh, uninterrupted continuity. There are some, some attempts more recently in the 90s amongst the Bosniaks or Bosnian Muslims that also established some kind of continuity, but they were not all accepted even by, by their own uh, scholars, but more serious scholars. So it's not something that that that, that had deep roots uh, as, as, for example, Albanian scholarship, which only recently started started to change more more substantially from this kind of idea of uh, Illyrians as the as the ancestors. A lot uh, isn't known about them. Um in present day as we you know as we've we've chatted about uh you know in this in the in this conversation but they they've they've left a legacy nonetheless and in some ways at least they 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 helped me to 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 do my phd and do, do a little bit of research and yeah of course i'm i'm, I'm joking there is a bit, yeah. bit of legacy but this is not the, the spectacular legacy of big temples big cities you know uh, wonderful uh, greek art it, it's much more subtle uh, and uh, it's um, in some ways uh, much more interesting we didn't even speak about these early iron age communities from glasinas plateau and speak about the other groups from the western balkans which are also fascinating in 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 their own ways uh, but in many ways, this was very uh, uh, advanced area in the, the, the period that we spoke about, 4th, 3rd, 2nd century BC, very advanced. Uh, uh, in, they, they haven't been, you know, wild uh, man-eating barbarians. They, they had particular level of sophistication and, and the culture, especially their elite. Uh, but uh, as I said, there was a little bit of bad press, especially from the Roman writers because of these entrepreneurial actions at, at, at the sea. I find these topics very fascinating, though, um, when because there is some stuff known about them. Clearly, we, we chatted about a whole bunch of things uh, today, but I, I find the, the topics when sometimes there isn't certain things that's not known about about certain topics that can be fascinating in its own right. Right. Because you kind of get into uh, inferring stuff. You're, you're looking at various evidence. You're trying to connect the dots. You're you know, you're reading other people's works and saying, is this person writing um, uh, unbiasedly? Are they writing biasedly, right? And that, that's producing dialogue. So I find this kind of conversation very, very fascinating. Thank you for coming on the show today, Daniel. Thank you for inviting me. 
So again, everybody, the couple books that I mentioned at the start of the episode that Dr. Gino wrote, he's author of the book Illyricum in Roman Politics, 229 BC to AD 68. And he's co-author of the book Liburnians and Illyrian Lems, Iron Age Ships of the Eastern Adriatic. The latter one is the one that I mentioned during the episode as well. I'm going to drop links to both the books in the show notes on the IthacaBound.com's associated subpage to this episode. Daniel and everybody listening, as always, wishing you a marvelous journey. Bye for now. Hey again, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and I wish you a bountiful rest of your day. Bye for now.